Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to Octopulse, our Detroit News, Detroit Red Wings podcast. I'm Mark Faulkner, Detroit News Assistant Sports Editor, joined, as always, by Ted Coffin, our Red Wings beat reporter. Coming up on the podcast, we'll hear from former Red Wing and longtime Philadelphia Flyers broadcaster Steve Coates. He played on the 1977 Detroit team, which missed the playoffs for a franchise record seventh straight season the wings have now tied that record seven straight years without the playoffs and that's where we'll pick up today's podcast episode 92 ted it's too soon to talk about breaking that streak there's still the rest of the summer there's rookie camp in september the preseason and then the season opener is in new jersey on october the 12th but first what do you make of this free agency class of 2023 in goal? James Reimer and Alex Lyon on defense, Shane Gostas Bear and Justin Hall up front, JT Comfer, Daniel Strong, and Christian Fisher. That's seven new players, Ted, more depth, some offense, and a lot of defense. But what are your major takeaways from this class? Still looking for some offense, though, aren't they, Mark? Mm-hmm. That's the first thing that comes across with me. I mean, you're hoping that Comfer produces, you know, probably in that 20 goal range or whatnot. Never has, though, if I'm if I'm correct. I don't think it was his career was 18 or so. Sprong is Sprong might be a good shrewd addition. I mean, he scored mm-hmm. over 20 goals a couple of times. We'll see what happens there. But I don't know. I I I, I like the moves. I don't know about you. I like the moves. I don't I can't say I love them yet. There might be a goal scorer from Farmington Hills that still might be on the way. That's good. That could change things considerably. But right now, as the roster looks, I don't know, my friend, are they appreciably better than they were at the start of last year? Can you say that? Better defensively? I guess, yeah, maybe better defensively. But and as a, I don't know, if, you know, if this is the opening night, opening night lineup, well, what? No Tyler Bertuzzi or Jacob Verana from last year. A couple mm-hmm. of no Philip Ronek. I don't know. It's interesting. I can't say that they're that, not necessarily that much better than they were at the start of last season. Can you? Well, good question. Last year's team, Ted, had only three more victories than Jeff Blaschel's team the year before. Just three more victories. Will this team? Will this team get up into the? 90 point plateau and get near a playoff berth. I'm not even sure with Deep Cat that they could get to 90 points. That seems kind of, yeah, that seems kind of high. But I will tell you one thing, Mark. I don't know if you agree with me or not. The division collectively doesn't seem as loaded as it was last season. And that might help teams like Detroit, Ottawa. Mm-hmm. I think Buffalo could be one of the best teams in the division next year. Before we hear from two of those new players, JT Comfer and Justin Hall, let's get the latest on Philip Zadina. He was put on unconditional waivers on Thursday. Unconditional waivers means the Wings and Zadina agreed to terminate his contract. Zadina is free to sign with another team, while the Wings don't have to pay him $4.5 million over two years or a salary cap savings of $1.8 million per season. Here's what Steve Eisman had to say about Zadina earlier this week. You know, unfortunately, Philip, last year, he, he missed a lot of time due to injury. I thought I thought in, in the 30-ish games that he played, I've seen growth in his game. Um, 
prior to the draft, a couple weeks prior to the draft, through his agent, uh, um, uh, he had asked, you know, if he could potentially go somewhere else, looking for a better, op more opportunity, a fresh start. Um, so uh, I've tried to do that. I've tried to find uh, a place for him to play. Somebody who's interested in Philip would uh, maybe give him that opportunity. I haven't been able to do that. So uh, in, in making this, uh, put him on waivers today, um, I'm trying to give him an opportunity to go somewhere to an organization if he wants to play more. You know, we'll see if that happens. Ted, what do you make of Zadina's decision? Just 28 goals in 190 games. Would you take a chance on him? We've been talking about Alex DeBrinket of Farmington Hills. There's some extra money there to acquire a high-scoring forward like DeBrinket. What do you make of the decision, though? Just never worked out here, my friend. I just never worked out. And mm -hmm. never got any traction. Never really showed at all the goal-scoring ability that was supposed to come out of junior. Injuries certainly didn't help. He had a couple of long-term, longer-term injuries, which kind of sent a couple seasons kerplunk. But I don't know. He was he hardly looked like the sixth player picked overall in any draft. It just he did, he didn't look at Mark, and uh, I think both sides are probably relieved or kind of satisfied maybe just go their separate ways and hopefully mm -hmm. he's a a good kid and I, I hopefully he finds a organization where you know he'll get a fresh start and maybe he'll show some of that talent coming up next on the podcast it's time for our interview segment and today's guest is the longtime voice of the philadelphia flyers and a former member of the red wings steve coates joining us now is steve coates a former member of the detroit red wings who just retired this year after a 43-year career in broadcasting with the philadelphia flyers steve welcome to the podcast most people know you as a flyer you signed with the flyers as a free agent in 1973 after four years at michigan tech you were traded to detroit in 1977, on February the 17th, the Wings traded a defenseman, Rick LaPointe, who is the fifth overall pick, and Mike Corney for you, Dave Kelly, Terry Murray, and Bob Ritchie. Two days later, on February the 19th, Steve, you made your NHL debut at Olympia Stadium, a 2-1 loss against the Buffalo Sabres. What do you remember about your first game? You had one shot on Don Edwards. You had an elbowing penalty against Brian Spinner Spencer, who got a couple of minutes for interference. But what do you remember? You wore number 17. You were a 5'9", 175 pound, right-handed shooting, right winger. You're from Toronto. Did your family get up to the game, Steve? That was a, it was kind of a rush situation. Um, obviously, you know, the opportunity to go from Toronto to Detroit, but I got the phone call on the uh, uh, Thursday night that we were being traded to Detroit. Mm -hmm. And um, I got a kick when you said it was Rick LaPointe and Mike Corning. Rick LaPointe was a huge part of that trade. I was the end part. <laughs> okay. There, there was just no, you know, I was a throw in. And they were looking for a defenseman. They got Terry Murray. Dave Kelly was a big right winger. And Bobby Ritchie was a former number two pick of the Flyers. So they were looking for those people to be, uh, you know, a big part of the Red Wings at that time. Mm -hmm. And uh, my my play-by-play -play partner for years here uh, off and on, Tim Saunders, is from Detroit. And he was a huge Red Wings fan. And oh. 
to this day, he said it was the worst trade in the history of the Detroit Red Wings. <laughs> and he's not shy about telling everybody about that. But oh, that's, um, that's funny. I, I had a pulled groin when I got there, when Larry Wilson called me and said, listen, we, we just traded for you. And I was yeah. playing for the Springfield Indians. And uh, uh, I said, I've got a bad groin, Larry. He says, don't worry about it. We'll take care of it when you get here. So I got there. And it was bad. I mean, in fact, I heard it again that practice on a Friday after we got there. The next night, I couldn't even move against Buffalo. I couldn't even move. And so, and back in those days, you didn't tell anybody that you were hurt. Sure. So, uh, we get into New York. We fly into New York that night. Terry Murray's my my roommate. And I was doing everything wrong. Back in the day, you didn't know. Nobody understood what was right and what's wrong as far as healing and things like that. So, I was in the a hot tub, which that's the worst thing I should have done. So I couldn't move. And I was just terrified. I just got traded there. So I went to see Le- Lefty Wilson, who was a famous trainer at that time. Lefty, I can't, I can't play. And he just like, yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah. You know how they made you feel really, really guilty. So I miss a week. I guess it was a week. And Larry said, listen, we traded for you. You got to play. Mm-hmm. And I went, <laughs> Larry, I, I, you know, the groin is a, I always had groin problems. So I said, okay. So, uh, he said, I'll just have you kill penalties. I said, okay, that'll be fine. Next thing I know, I'm in the starting lineup and I went, how the hell can I be in the starting lineup? I mean, what, what's going on here? So I got through the, the first period and all of a sudden I blocked Marshall's shot from in the second period. And I can honestly tell you that it was an accident. I did not like blocking shots. It was an absolute accident. that I blocked the shot. The puck goes firing out into the neutral zone. I get to the red line. The crowd's gone into a, a, a cheer because I got a breakaway. And all of a sudden my groin popped right into my belly. So now I can't even move. So I get to the far blue line. I fire the puck in the corner, skate off the ice. Mm-hmm. And the crowd went from a yay to a boo in the same breath. And that was it for me at that time. I think I missed. I ended up only playing five games that year because once the groin, I was, you know, that was it. That was my experience in Detroit. You mentioned those five games. So that was the first one. And that was part of a historically bad Red Wings team, Steve. Only 16 wins, the fewest wins in Detroit history since the NHL went to a 70-game schedule in 1950. So game two is March the 3rd. You would have had a little bit of time with that injury. It was a 4-2 loss against the Islanders. You fought Gary Howitt. Game three, so the final three games of the season you played, March 31st, a 3-1 loss against the North Stars. You took a high-sticking penalty there against Tom Reed and Dean Talifis. Game four is when you scored your goal, April the 2nd. A 4-3 loss against the Penguins. Your first goal was against Dennis Heron, who wound up winning a Vesna Trophy in Montreal. Dennis Polonich and Fred Williams assisted on that goal at 7-16 of the second period. You also had a fight against defenseman Russ Anderson. And then Game 5, your last game, Steve, was uh, in uh, Pittsburgh the next day, a 4-2 loss at the Civic Arena. That was 11 straight losses, by the way, to end the season of 14-game <laughs> winless streak. So what was it like, first of all, that goal? That was a goal set up by Polonich and Williams. What was that like, the goal, and those final games when you did get five games with the Red Wings? 
Well, the first game, I was third star against Minnesota, and Dennis Hextall busted my chops about being a star. <laughs> it was, oh, my goodness. And then uh, uh, the Saturday game was when my, my father actually did come to the game. That is one of the uh, – actually, there's a book that a guy named Ken Reed up in Toronto wrote a book about all the players like myself that had one goal in the National Hockey League. Yes, yes, I've read that, yes. Yeah, so uh, the puck, if I remember correctly, the puck it was passed out, it was in the slot, and I fired the puck uh, up in the, uh, the, the left side of the net, me facing the net. I can remember that, and I always tell everybody, thank God it went in, because it would have killed him if it had hit him, because of, <laughs> but... Uh, I was very fortunate to get that done. I was playing with the cat and, and, and polo. And, uh, you know, those are two guys that were pretty good players to, to play with at the time. So it worked out really well. Now, how about playing for Larry Wilson? He won a cup, Steve, as a player in 1950, but he had a tough time as interim coach. Alex Delvecchio started the year. He was fired on January the 15th. They had a 13, 26 and five record. But under Larry, three twenty-nine and four, only three wins in the final thirty-six games, and you wound up playing under Larry as well the following year with the Kansas City Red Wings. So, what was it like with Larry when this team had just three wins in the last thirty-six games? Well, first of all, Larry was a, a long time. Like I played for him to Richmond, um, okay, and I had a, a lot of success there in my second year, and uh, then he. The the Flyers changed their farm system where the, the uh, went from Richmond, Virginia to Springfield, Massachusetts. Larry was out. Then at the end of that year, he was hired by well, midway through the year, he was hired by Detroit Red Wings. Um, and I think that the pro when you look back at that team, yeah, um, we had two guys that were sitting on the sidelines that would have been a bit a bit of a a help to that hockey club in the name of Rutherford and Jockerman. They were both hurt. Um, that's that's pretty healthy when you think about, you know, trying to stop the puck in those days. Um, and that's no, re- you know, it, it's no reflection on Terry Richardson, who was uh, a goalie at that time, but both Rutherford and Jockerman were hurt the whole time I was there. Um, so that didn't help. But, uh, you know, that's what, you know, only playing five games, I kind of missed on the real theme what was happening. Then when I got sent to Kansas City the next year, that was the year they brought in Bobby Crom to be the head coach of the Red Wings. Mm-hmm. So we went to Kalamazoo for training camp, and you saw a completely different complexion in the, th- the, the thought process of what kind of team they wanted because you went, uh, you kind of came down the hall, and they said, uh, you're in the Kansas City room, and you're over here with the Detroit <laughs> room. How it works. And, and uh uh, I was awful in Kansas City. I was just absolutely awful. And uh, Larry called me in, I don't remember, in February and sent me to Maine to play for the Flyers Farm team there on loan. So, but Larry, to this day, I mean, he passed away. But Larry and I, despite the problems we had, and the, me being not playing very good for him at the time, um, we were continued friends. And the family were friends. And Ronnie Wilson, of course, is his son was a highly successful coach in the National Hockey League. So, uh, I let Larry, he, he dealt a, a tough hand with the Detroit Red Wings that sure. year. I'll say that. 
You know, that seven-year stretch of hockey, uh, Steve, from 1970 to 77 was the worst stretch of Red Wings hockey until now, seven years out of the playoffs. You mentioned Bobby Crom. He had Eddie Jockerman and Jimmy Rutherford in goal. He was named Coach of the Year. They had twice as many wins from 16 to 32. I'm just wondering what your thoughts are. You said that you didn't have that great of a year in Kansas City. He had 14 goals, 20 assists, 34 points in 63 games. How do you look back at your career with this cup of coffee with the Red Wings? You played a couple more years in the American Hockey League. What do you, what do you tell some of your friends like Tim Saunders and others about, about your brief NHL career? I went to, or I came to Philadelphia in 1973 to try out Michigan tech and uh, couldn't get a tryout. So I called an old friend of mine who I'd played junior with and Markham back in Toronto. And his father was the head, or chief scout of the Philadelphia Flyers. I said, Brad, can you talk to your, your dad about me getting a tryout to go to Philadelphia? Mm. And next thing you know, it, I was on my way here to Philly and I'm on, I'll never forget it. Air Jamaica. And I went, how am I going Air Jamaica to go to Philly? So obviously it was a Toronto to Philly, then to Jamaica. And uh, there was a lot of players coming from Toronto to trading camp. Now I'm just terrified. And you said I'm five, nine, and that was five, nine, one sixty five then probably. Okay, And I was coming at the time where the Flyers had just come off that big playoff. They had some success. They had Schultz, Kelly, Seleski, DuPont. Uh, and it was a tough, tough time. So I'm coming into training camp, and I said, first of all, I, I passed out giving blood. That's a great thing to do when you're having your first <laughs> training camp. I was the smallest guy in training camp. And... Uh, I got on the plane with all those guys that were bigger and stronger. And, oh, boy, what have I got myself into here? And I said to somebody, because I had fractured skull by last year of college with a helmet on. So I said, should I wear a helmet? They said, no, that shows you that you're scared. I said, no problem. I won't, I won't uh, uh, worry about that. And I was just trying to maybe get sent to the EHL or the IHL or something mm-hmm. like that. And I was fortunate enough we got uh, – I got sent to the IHL in Des Moines. We won the championship. I was a mid-season all-star. I had a hell of a year. And I got signed to go down to Richmond. So every year just got better. Um, and, and just like in any athlete's uh, career, you have certain things happen that um, uh, affect your ability to play. That's what makes the world go around. And so I had a bad year the first year in Richmond. I had a great year in Richmond. The next year, I had a good year in Springfield until they traded me. And we were, that was when the American League only had six teams mm-hmm. uh, because of the World Hockey Association. So uh, a lot of different factors, but I got seven years more than I ever dreamt that I'd have. Good. So it, it would, in the good times, outweighed the bad times by an awful lot. Steve, thanks for your uh, time so far. Just two more local angles. You mentioned Michigan Tech, you played 100 games there from 1969 to 1973, 25 goals, 29 assists, 54 points. You were inducted into Michigan Tech's Athletic Hall of Fame in 2018. The Huskies won three national titles under John McGinnis, 1962 with Lou Angotti, 1965 with Tony Esposito, and 1975 with Mike Zook and Bob Lorimer. But how about John McGinnis? He was from Toronto as well, Steve. He was a goalie here at the University of Michigan. He won a pair of league titles. He also played for the Wings and their farm system. And then 
He was involved in Ann Arbor amateur hockey. What are your thoughts about why John McGinnis was so successful at your Michigan Tech? Well, Johnny Mack, as he was affectionately known, mm-hmm. or was affectionately known, he got it. Um, he was actually ahead of his time. I mean, I remember my senior year, he was using video. And, you know, players at that time didn't like video because it showed you you weren't doing your job back in your own zone. I was the worst back checker in the history <laughs> of the world. But Johnny Mack, Johnny Mack had his way, or it was the highway. And one thing about college that's probably, you know, when you're a, 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 a player of any sort in a college or university, that when you're not doing well and the coach puts you on the pine, you got nowhere to go. It's not like when you're playing pro and you get, well, you can get sent here and you can get sent here and you can say, no, in university, you're sitting there and you're stewing about the fact that I can't play and I got to still live here. Mm-hmm. So um, it makes it a lot tougher. And so Johnny Mac had his rules right down to haircuts, sideburns. Uh, that's the way it was going to be. And Michigan Tech was a very unique society. Uh, 4,000 guys, 300 girls. In fact, I just spoke up at, at, at Michigan Tech and I was talking to these people about I was recruited and I never saw Michigan Tech before I was recruited to go there. Mm-hmm. And I said, they said, well, you have 4,000 guys, 300 girls and 275 inches of snow. How can I go wrong? I've got to go there. And it's just fascinating. The whole thing. It's all about playing hockey there. The whole thing is about playing hockey. And finally, Steve, the 1997 Stanley Cup final Flyers and Red Wings, uh, the Flyers, uh, the Flyers were led by that Legion of Doom line, Lindros, Leclerc, Renberg, who was injured and replaced by Zubris in games two, three, and four. The team was 12 and three coming into that final against the Wings. They had one five game series against the Penguins, Sabres, and Rangers. Lindros had 23 points in 15 games. Now we know that the Wings countered with Nicholas Lidstrom and Larry Murphy, and that was a factor. And then Terry Murray said after game three, the team was in a choking situation. What do you remember ah, most? Ah. Oh, 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 see, that's where that, you know what? It said, it appears to be a choking situation. It appears to be, yes. It yeah, appears to be. And then yes. our press, that's an, it, 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 the, our press went firing down and said to our players, well, Murph just said that you're choking. No, he didn't. <laughs> no, he didn't. He said it would appear if you guys were watching that we're choking, but we're not. That series, we Lindros was on fire against the Rangers. Okay. Okay, against the Wings, not so much. We were going back and forth with goalies, too, with Snow and Hextall. And the Red Wings were just too good for us. And if you look at the video, there's a video uh, of that Stanley Cup championship. Mm-hmm. I was at a um, pep rally at City Hall here in Philadelphia, and I stood up and I said, "They say Detroit's hockey town, but no, it's not. Philadelphia is hockey town." And they put that quote in the video for the Stanley Cup for the Red Wings. Did you say that? Is that accurate? Oh yeah, I said it. Yeah, right in front of a a huge crowd at City Hall, nineteen ninety seven. Oh no, I was. Just all part of the stories. That's all it is. Well, you didn't play a factor in the Wings winning then, did you? 
<laughs> no, <laughs> I was doing the game. I was like, uh, I would have never have dreamt heading into that series that we would got beat four games to none. There wasn't a lot going on. How's that? As far as our ability to be able to win games. Thanks again for your time today, Steve, talking to us about your Detroit and Michigan Tech connections, your time with the Flyers. All the best, of course, in your retirement. I appreciate that. I'm going to try to have a good time. Our thanks again to Steve Coates. And now let's hear from JT Comfer. He's 28, a former University of Michigan forward, who signed a five-year, $25.5 million contract after seven years with the Avalanche, including that Stanley Cup title in 2022 and a career-best 52 points last year. Here he is, Ted, answering your question about leaving Denver to play here in Detroit. I know you're excited about coming here, but just on the flip side of it, I mean, is it kind of difficult with, you know, Denver's a great sports city. You guys had a great thing going there too. That side of it, I mean, are you coming to grips with, you know, leaving that organization and all that? Yeah, definitely. I think, um, you know, that's where I've spent my whole career so far. And I have such good relationships in that locker room. And um, as we've touched on, like winning a championship only bonds you closer. Um, I, I can't say enough good things about, playing in Colorado with that group, um, the coaches playing for Joe. I'm super thankful for everyone. Um, it's just part of the business sometimes that, you know, it, it doesn't always happen forever. And, um, I am super to, to be the organization and playing Detroit. You mentioned Denver as a, um, a great sports city. And I, I see Detroit as the, as the same thing. Um, and so in terms of tradition and, and culture and um, yeah I, I love my time there I miss the teammate I'll miss my teammates there um, but now I'm you know I, I, I had a little time where I um, thought back on the seven years there but now I uh, you know the, the focus shifts and um, just really excited to be um, coming to Detroit. What do you make the end of Comfer's signing? Up the middle now, the Wings will have three U of M centers, Larkin, Cop, and Comfer. Larkin at $8.7 million, probably playing with Lucas Raymond and maybe David Perron, the first power play unit. Andrew Cop at $5.6 million, probably playing with Michael Rasmussen again and maybe Robbie Fabry. And now Comfer at $5.1 million, maybe playing with Dominique Kubelik or Daniel Sprong, Jonathan Bergeron or Christian Fisher. Lots of options there for coach Derek Lalonde. But Ted, how do you think Comfer fits in? He's not going to hurt you. Good solid mm -hmm. player. He's very reminiscent of, well, frankly, he's, I don't know, Mark, he's very similar, very reminiscent of Andrew Kopp. That's the type of guy who I kind of, you know, picture him being, and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, for the money you'd like, like we kind of alluded to earlier, like a little bit more offense. Mm -hmm. We'll see if he can do that, but he's their type of guy. He's very versatile, plays a lot of different roles. You can move it up and down the lineup. I don't think, he, I don't think he hurts you. That's for sure. Now let's hear from another newcomer, Justin Hall. He's 31, a little bit older than Confer. He's a former university of Minnesota defenseman who won a Calder cup with Sheldon Keefe and the Toronto Marlies in 2018. And then after playing for Mike Babcock for a year in Toronto, he rejoined Keefe and was one of his best defensive defensemen for the past four years. Here he is answering your question, Ted, about playing in Toronto. Yeah, playing in a place like Toronto, can that help a player just mentally and physically just get, be stronger and whatnot, playing in that market and all? 
Yeah, for sure. Um, you're definitely under the microscope in terms um, a lot of guys, like when you talk to guys around the league, they're, uh, that's the hardest place to play all that stuff. You know, um, I love my time in Toronto. I thought it was terrific. Uh, I'm sure there will be differences, um, and that, that will be noticeable. Um, but I do think that it prepares you in certain ways to have thick skin and stuff like that, but really you can't, uh, I don't know. You can't worry about the noise regardless. Justin Hall just mentioned that noise in Toronto, and there was a lot of noise in the oh, playoffs. Oh, my friend, he heard a lot of it, didn't he, Mark? <laughs> well, he was minus seven in five games. He was outscored 14-2 to two when he was on the ice with Mark Giordano, the worst defensive pairing. He got scratched in that game six. The Leafs had been 0-11 for 11 in elimination games, and then they scratched him for the next two games against Florida. Now, here in Detroit... He could be paired with Ben Sherratt, the highest paid defenseman at $4.75 million. That would be Sherratt and Hall, both 6'3 defensemen. The first pairing, of course, is probably going to be Mo Sider, still on his rookie contract at $863,000, along with Jake Wallman, who makes $3.4 million, the same as Hall. There's also Shane Gostas-Bear at $4.1 million and Ali Mata at $3 million. So, Ted... How do you feel Hall will help this Red Wings defense in front of Billy Huso, James Reimer, and possibly even Alex Lyon? I think just getting out of the pressure cooker or the spotlight in Toronto, that helps a lot of guys. And mm-hmm. he seems to be like he might be one of those type players that will really could definitely thrive in another situation like that. Uh, you got mixed reviews, Mark. I've mm-hmm. heard some people think he is going to be a good help, a good like you said, a good, solid defensive defenseman. Uh, others aren't as sure. So, we'll just, I don't know, it'll be interesting to watch. I'll tell you, on the surface, a pairing of him and Sherrod, I'm not sure if that's <laughs> according to a lot of, according to the people on social media, that doesn't inspire a lot of confidence. But we'll, we'll watch and see. But uh, now that, that's one of those signings that I think most people are a little quizzical about. Uh, the term and the money, but I think he might be a guy who getting out of Toronto, that might, might be, might be helpful for him and just a little bit more of a relaxed atmosphere in Detroit. And finally, let's hear from Nate Danielson, our guest on the last podcast on the Red Wings first round pick ninth overall. He's 18, 6'2", 185, a center from the Brandon Wheat Kings who talked about facing Connor Bedard of the Regina Pats on the podcast in one game, Bedard was held scoreless until the final minute when he tipped in the winning goal to beat Brandon. Here's Ted's question about facing Bedard, the number one overall pick. How good is he? I mean, you, you, you know him obviously pretty well. I mean, it's like, what do you expect from him at this level and whatnot? Yeah, I mean, he's uh, he's an unbelievable player. I mean, um, everyone's seen the things he's doing. So, um, yeah, I expect him to have another good year next year. And, um, he's sort of been someone who's, uh, high expectations his whole life. And he's always found a way to exceed them. So Ted, what about Danielson and the other first round pick Axel Sandine Pelica Danielson was dominant in the three on three tournament this week. Sandine Pelica looked like a young Quinn Hughes. In fact, when Ken Holland staff passed on Quinn Hughes for Zadina in 2018, Several people at that draft table told us later that Hughes' defensive game, they're a little bit worried that he would be a liability. Now, five years later, they seem to get it right, taking the 5'11 Swede, who Craig Button compared to 
Hall of Famer Sergei Zuboff and was ranked as the fifth best player in the draft by Button. Danielson, Ted, the big right-handed center, and Sandine Pelica. What did you make of those two picks? They're both they're both very mature kids. Seem like they're good level heads on their shoulders. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a two or three years down the line, at least until we see them. But I mean, most most analysts who really follow the draft, they seem to like the draft. Um, Danielson, we seem he seemed like he was kind of pegged for the Red Wings right from the get go, almost. Uh, mm-hmm. Did play well against Bedard, so that was kind of interesting. But yeah, good solid player, both ends of the ice. He's their type of guy, kind of like another. Sounds like he could be another cop or comfort mm-hmm. with maybe a little bit more offensive ability. And yeah, the Swedish defenseman, great skater. Seems like he's he can quarterback a power play. Um, you know, we'll wait and see it here in a few years. But yeah, I mean, nothing. I've, most gen, most people generally think that he's going to be a player. So. It'll be you need you need bodies like that. You need assets like that in your organization. They may have gotten a few other ones in this draft. Um, you know, it's a you need to build up in certain positions. They seem like they did over the draft. Ted, thanks again for your time today, and that'll do it for episode ninety-two of our Detroit News Detroit Red Wings podcast. You can find all of Ted's stories online at DetroitNews.com as well as on our octopulse facebook page thanks again everyone for listening rating and reviewing these podcasts <laughs>